Wally. Ah, that's number three, Henry Hodgson. He's always classic <laughs> of the week. Um, all right. Uh, should we do an audio check first? Braz, speak. Yo, testing. One, two, yeah, that's three, okay. four. Dave, speak. Hello. Right. Okay, cool. He's in his intro. Hello and welcome back to the Around Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is the Saint Andrew Shagger, David Harris. <laughs> I will. I'm oh, okay. Are we are we keeping that one? Yeah. We can do. I mean, it sounds like a shag the stadium, but go for it. <laughs> no, we can't keep that one. We can't. <laughs> We just, I just keep that. We'll keep that one. If you've ever listened to this, that's when we're releasing the the compilation. Okay. Right. I can't remember what your actual nickname was, but saying Andrew Shagger just struck me. <laughs> that's sensational. Uh, was it the tips and twonk? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. He's gone. <laughs> Is he coming back? It was. He, he's calling out Mayweather. I think. <laughs> Oh God! Did you say Tipton? Yeah. No affiliation to Tipton at all. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Saft Irish sausage. No, okay. For prefer Tipton twang. All of a sudden. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. Saft Irish sniffer. <laughs> no, no it's, it's the Saint Andrew sniffer. <laughs> Okay, I've got one. Can we Hello, tell the what? viewers that Dave was that bloke? You know, he woke up in the in the blues ground like two hours after the yeah, game. Yeah, that video. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Around Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunter. Joining me this week, like every week, is the tips and tickler, Mr. David Harris. <laughs> Unbelievable, Will. And to his right, well, on the computer screen at least, is sports media's number one Joel Linton correspondent, Mr. Mike Preston. Hello. How are you both? <laughs> I think I'm better than Dave. I'm really well. That's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Tickler. <laughs> I'm very confused. Uh, very well, confused. Well, you get a reputation in the streets, Dave. It sticks with you. I mean, I am ticklish. That's all I can really... No, no, not ticklish, tickler. That's all I'm going to say on the fact. God. Oh, boy. Hansie and St. Andrews. I need to talk about it further. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so what's the around pod all around? Well, every week, three friends get together to discuss and debate the world of football. So there's only one place to start this week, and um, that is um, not Dave's tickling habits. <laughs> <laughs> The problem was, I was, I was completely fine. I kept going through it and I turned and looked at Mike and he was still chuckling. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, God. All right, this might okay. be our best start to the podcast. Well, it's better, better than the time we spent 12 minutes talking about sandwiches to start it off. <laughs> oh, by the way, ta- first tangent. Um, how early is too early for a Christmas tree to go up? Anything before the 1st of December. Yes, Mike. That's what is, I was about to say. Is that, where we're, is that where we're drawing the line in the sand? Yeah. No, yeah it's, not where I, it's not when I put my tree up. December. 
Well, when did your tree go up, Mark? It's, it's still not up, to be honest. Well, and today we're, we're recording on the, the 7th of December. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be honest, mine's not up either. But I, I can accept it if it's up in December. I'm, a, I'm allowing it. It usually goes up two weeks before, probably go up this weekend. This this is my question, right? So there's all these... 12th night, you know, don't leave your... um. Don't leave your tree up after 12 days after Christmas, right? But beforehand, you can put it up whenever you want. 22nd of November this year, I saw people down the road doing it. So well, if you go in, the, if you go in the shops, there's Christmas stuff even before Halloween. Now it used to be Halloween was the marker, but now it, the game's gone. I got no problem with the shops. They're trying to they're trying to sell stuff. What I do have a problem with is you know Maureen down the road getting bored on a, a Sunday <laughs> late October and thinking you know it will jazz up the road. Like no Maureen. <laughs> late October. Late October was the oh. earliest I've seen a Christmas thing. Wow. I saw lights, but I couldn't tell whether oh, they were just. When does she take it down? March? No, no, um, September. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those uh, 11 month jobbies. Yeah, it's pretty wild, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, God. It, it's, it could just be a decorated tree, I suppose. I mean, it's not even green. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's get back to the football. I'll tell you what, it was a hell of a game. You can see why we're, we're rushing to talk about it. Um, North London derby lads, uh, Tottenham versus Arsenal, um, 2-0 Tottenham. I, I think I, I was saying to my dad that I don't think I've ever watched a game where I could have told you word for word what was going to happen before mm-hmm. the game happened. Um, thoughts, lads, how did you feel about the game itself? An- annoyed. Okay. Annoyed? Mourinho. Just because Mourinho has a style of football that keeps working and it's, it's total shit housing, so I have respect for it, but okay. also more frustrating that Arsenal have no killer instinct at all. I think they had 36 touches in Tottenham's box compared to Tottenham's six touches in Arsenal's box. I think, yeah, but none, none of Arsenal's chances were particularly No, that's what I mean, though, but that's their own, their own fault. Yeah. Um, Brad, your headline thoughts, really? Pretty much as you said. I mean, before the game, if someone told you this is how the game was going to play out, you'd have been like, yep, I could see that. The game played out exactly (laughs) as you'd expect, pretty much. Jose Um, plays the top six. Well, Arsenal are probably not a top six side, but... I do want to talk about that. I do do want to talk about that at some point. Um, But I, I think... Did you see the the XG for this game? At half time, it was it was zero point two seven for Tottenham, and they'd scored two goals. And at the end of the game, it was zero point two seven for Tottenham. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that is peak Jose. It really is. Um, so let, let's start with um, start with Spurs. I think in particular, probably time probably should talk about the guy who was man of the match. I thought in Hoiberg. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about signings of the season and how fantastic he's been. Um, Dave, this was a, a game that really allowed him to uh, to showcase what he's great at, wasn't it? Yeah, he's just he's just he's just perfect for sort of breaking up the play, the small passes, doing the doing that job in the team. I feel when Tottenham were definitely lacking that before before he joined. Um, 
I think, in fact, lads, I'm going to be honest, I think we talked about right at the start of this season how we were a bit baffled by the signing, but just proved us totally right. Well, wrong, rather. And, <laughs> for fuck's sake. I went to prove Tottenham right, and that's wrong, and I've got it wrong. Got even that wrong. I'm sorry, I'm still actually put off by the tickler reference for those wondering why I'm so disconcerted with what's going on. <laughs> the best thing is that they're gonna be play they're gonna play this at your uh, your trial. <laughs> <laughs> um the thing is with Hoyberg and um we probably should see it coming is the reason why we're all a bit confused is because when he signed for Tottenham we, we had envisions of the Southampton Tottenham no not Southampton Tottenham I'm at it as well <laughs> what's going on? um the Southampton Hoyberg playing uh, the, his role for Tottenham, in which case we were like, well, they've got, he's an energetic box-to-box who presses high up the pitch. They've got Sissoko. What's he going to do, actually? How does, How is this going to bring creativity to Tottenham's midfield, which was lacking it? And what they've actually, what Mourinho's actually done, which is really smart, is he's he's playing him as a six. He's playing him as the, the deepest midfielder. And in, he's not the most expansive passer, but t- the way Tottenham are playing, in which they're particularly in these big games, in which they are just making themselves ridiculously hard to beat, and unleashing perhaps the most lethal counter attack there is in world football right now. Over and over again, it's it's working wonders, and he's it's just it's perfect recruitment is what it feels like. It's like recruitment for a perfect game plan, and we were sort of all laughing at Mourinho last year, saying, "Oh, is the is the sort of like is the mojo gone?" And he's got some of his own players in. Now and we're we're seeing them reap the rewards. This was a really, really impressive victory. Now I know Arsenal weren't good, but I don't know about you, Mike. There was something particular with how quickly they broke with the second goal that made me really fearful of Tottenham. Yeah, I mean they keep uh, they keep kind of doing the same thing, and it keeps working, and no one seems to be able to stop them. Um, Obviously, Party came off injured, I think, just before. Yeah. Which opened Arsenal up a little bit, but the pace that Son and Kane in particular break with, it, it's so hard to stop. <clears throat> they just seem to have this relationship with each other. They, they know where each other want the ball and are going to be, and the, both of them are good enough to finish mm. the chance or the, the one or two chances that they're going to get a game, which at the moment is the difference between this game being a nil-nil and this game being... Spurs to Arsenal nil, which is what it finished as. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about absurd finishers. Hyung Min Son is an absurd finisher, and he's ha- he's an absurd finisher having an absurd finishing season. I think if you were to look at if you look at his xG from like oh, I don't know last six years or something, it's something like he's he's got he's got an xG of fifty and he scored seventy five goals. He's an absurd finisher, and he's and you've watched his first goal. And there's nothing really Arsenal could do. Like, you can pick them apart on the second one, but the first one is really just absolute quality. That's the quality of that strike, Dave. Um, as I said, absurd finish having an absurd finishing season. And we talked a few weeks ago about Kane and Grealish perhaps being the front runners for player of the year. But is Son in there for you? Yeah, absolutely. At this point, he's just, he's just playing so well. And... It's also, I feel, with player of the year, uh, sort of players that can be relied upon as well. And and Son's so reliable this season. Like you just, you just know going out into any game that he's going to deliver for you. It feels like, and that that's pretty special to be able to feel that amount of player. Mm-hmm. Not that Tottenham 
I spoke well, they've got Kane as well, so they've got two players they can rely on for for goals or something every game, which is pretty wild, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, they're um they're really quite frightening. I think the I think the biggest transformation might for me with Tottenham is I know that our, our worry has been that defensive unit. Yeah, clean sheets are suddenly back on the Tottenham agenda. In terms of yeah, and just in terms of I think I think we've all got question marks over the personnel. Like I know, Brez, you're not a fan of Aurier. No, I'm still not a fan of Aurier. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> As I saw Aurier be really like calm and composed in the build-up to the second goal, I was thinking, you know, who's loving this. <laughs> um, but no, you look at the you look at the individual talent there, and it's not it's perhaps not not in, not incredibly high. Like I think Alderweireld is not the not the all-conquering player he was we, a few years ago. And particularly when you see, and I'm going to butcher his name because I can't fully remember it, the young lad who came in against Chelsea, uh, Rodon. Is it Rodon? Yeah. Yeah, Rodon. yeah. I keep wanting to call him Rondon. Yeah, um, I'm going to say some other variation of Rodon there, Will. You, you be quiet in the corner and go back to your tickling. Um, I think you were going to say that. So. Um, <laughs> the Tottenham tickler, some might call him. Um, but I think the fact that you can see that, that various aspects of the unit Come, come in and go out I think you can see that I think what they've got there is they've got a system that works really consistently well now again whether the creativity is there to permit a title charge and scoring goals against um, some of the lower teams that will sit in and sit deep your Burnleys of the world is another matter but uh, I don't think there's a scarier team in um, in big six games than Tottenham right now I, th- I think you're right Jose pretty much at his best at the moment uh, as much as I hate to say it I love him <laughs> he's pure showman did you see the way he was getting hugged he was holding out his arms like he was Jesus Christ I loved yeah. it I was like I was like, he's back baby and then I like saw the the Tottenham badge and then I started feeling really sick and I'm like it's really hard to enjoy Pete Jose when yeah, are they, are they so doing cool. a second second season of that all or nothing with Spurs do we know because um, this would be a hell of a season to have followed as well Jose right in his element. I'm not sure I want to see it. I'm not sure, but I was saying now, well, you'll you'll really go enjoy it until we get further into the season. Yeah, yeah. up there. Yeah, well, <laughs> well. Um, I tell you who it's a bit just off the tangent, all or nothing, Sheffield United. But we'll go to Sheffield United later on <laughs> because I think that's that's an interesting behind the scenes look. Um, it's looking a lot like nothing. It has to yeah. be said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I did think at the time putting all in the title of a Tottenham documentary was ridiculous. Um, I just want to quickly um, shout out one of our previous award winners, um, who last year we gave Don Blair the Bakayoko Memorial Award for the worst signing in Premier League that season. Um, and a lot of it was over his perceived work rate and the fact he couldn't seem to play 45 minutes. Now, he's looking more and more like an integral part of that team. I'm thinking more particularly the Chelsea game than the North London derby. But lads, um, so the attack's obviously brilliant and the defence is suspect. That Tottenham midfield, where are we ranking it in terms of up against the other top six midfields? Is there a, one, is there a better one or, or is, are you looking at that as being... It's certainly up one. there for me. Um don't know. Maybe Liverpool, Henderson, Fabinho, Wijnaldum maybe beats it. Just. Yeah. But even then, they play quite a bit differently, I would say. So, 
a little bit hard to compare. I'm glad you brought up Ndombele, Will, because he I'm... wasn't playing in this game and I wondered if that would uh, cause Spurs some problems. But Sissoko no. slotted right in, had a decent game. Hoiberg, as you alluded to earlier, had a really good game. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been a totally different player this season. Yeah, and is it... No, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, people just can't get the ball off him. Mm. No. He's so good so at strong. the ball under pressure. No, I think it was really interesting watching, almost watching Tottenham play Arsenal and then a week after watching them play Chelsea. Um, because Ndombele was fantastic in that Chelsea game. I mean, I mean, he was up against Mateo Kovacic, who's got the attacking ability of a butter knife. So he's <laughs> not really have to worry too much. But that being said, no one could get the ball off him. He was really strong and he was really useful for stopping the ball coming back at them straight away. Because we, we think of hold-up play being Kane up front, back into, into the centre-back and taking away some of the pressure but his he his ability to beat a man in midfield and being press resistant really did help Tottenham have a much needed breather in in that game and I I must admit although I looked at Arsenal and I, I to be honest I think they're a soft touch I did think that if they're going to play that way they might struggle a bit um but no obviously the system that he's got there overalls all that worries um yeah oh, it's grim isn't it it is it is I'll tell you what though um a lot of criticism last week, um, I think, for Chelsea for not quite going for it against Tottenham. We saw it here that that counter-attack is so devastating that did this perhaps have you reassessing your some of the tactics that you've seen against this Jose team? Do you think the only way to do is to just deny him space, not send forward your full-backs? <laughs> it's hard to argue. I mean... Looking at looking at the looking at them for a title charge, with teams like Liverpool who are so reliant on their fullbacks, um, Tottenham pre- present a really nasty matchup for them. I think. Is that yeah, maybe that's a really good point? I'm just getting no, carried I away. I don't think so. Uh, they're going to have to not get Spurs are going to have to not get beat by Liverpool, really, aren't they? Yeah, I think if they want to win the league. And that's very possible with Mourinho and the team's form at the moment. And you're right, <clears throat> Liverpool have been playing slightly different this season, but still relying a lot on their full-backs. Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool aren't pressing as high, I don't think. No. Um, especially with all the injuries and stuff. So, that'll be an interest- that tactical battle will be a hell of a, an interesting one to watch. Yeah. To be yeah. fair, you're right, maybe... Uh, Spurs can cause them some problems how quick they are in transition. Yeah. Especially I'd... down Trent's side. If Son's down Trent's side, which he should be. Jesus, it'll be a bloodbath. Oh, it'll be more yeah. of a massacre oh. if Neko Williams is still playing there. Christ. More of a bloodbath? Yeah, if Neko Williams plays, mate. Can, wait, we can have defenders who are worse than Trent? Yeah, <laughs> Neko Williams is worse. Good Lord. Wow. Good Lord. Right, so... <clears throat> Enough about Spurs. Let's talk about Arsenal because, um, as everyone knows on the podcast, we've been accused of being an anti-Arsenal podcast before. Um, If you're one of those people who can't hear any criticism for Arsenal or Arteta, I think you should probably turn off the podcast now and never return. Um, Just really, you should. I I do want to preface this by saying that I know it feels like um, it felt like that. You know, after that United game, we were all sort of 
feeling that Arsenal have turned a corner. And I wrote something saying Arsenal have turned a corner. And I've been on the fe- on on record saying I think he's a good manager and I think he's got a hell of a project there. That being said, I'm starting to get really concerned yeah. about not. And I'm I'm talking about beyond the results, but mm-hmm. beyond the. I want to talk about in this game particularly Arsenal's just inability to fashion a chance inability because they they rank they are woeful creatively and they're the worst they're actually 20th in the league for chances created even Sheffield United Newcastle any team down there have actually created more than Arsenal this season which is pretty astounding I don't know how you feel Mike but watching watching this game watching cross after bad cross go into the box I was I was sort of taken taken back to that David Moyes game um, where he's in charge of United yeah. yeah 44 I believe Dave um, Christ and he was just putting cross after cross because they had no idea of how to break down a defence what what do you think of what you're saying on the offensive side of the game well this is funny because as we've alluded to before I, I picked Arsenal to finish above Spurs so this I was going to let you off. I wasn't going to bring it up, but there we go. No, no. I mean, this, this is looking pretty bad at the moment. And, I, and as you said, I'm I'm getting more and more concerned every time I watch them play, to be honest. They they are lacking creativity. I've been an advocate against bringing Ozil from from the cold. I, and I, I still am not convinced. But so, something's got to change up there because you can't just keep fizzing crosses into no one. You just well, can't. And you're going to have to come up with some way to break down teams that sit there because their, their next game, they go to Burn. No, they host Burnley. Right. They're going, to, they're going to have the same issue where Burnley are just going to sit there. Unless Arsenal get an early goal, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, I, 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 Aubameyang is not a... He's a very good player. Um, I'm not going to suggest... But in no world, even at the absolute pomp of his finishing at like Dortmund or something, he was never a guy that you you were like, "I oh, hang it up to him at the back post." And no. it wasn't it wasn't just the quality of the crosses because Mikel Arteta after the game actually said that crosses are indicative of a good attack for him. And you watch a team like you watch a team like City, and I'm not talking about City now when things go wrong and they throw the ball in the box and they do that all the time. City, I'm no, talking no. more City um, a few seasons ago where. They crossed an awful lot, but they're all cutbacks. They're all low fizz things, things that things that you could you could thrive off. I, I think I think the stat is thirty four percent or something of the crosses in this game are floated to the back post, which yeah, is useless, absolutely useless. Because you know who's going to have that all day? Eric Dyer's going to have that all day. Eric Dyer's going to have that all day. It's easy for a keeper to come and claim it, and you're not afraid of Lacazette. What? Yeah, I was going to say, there's not even any player in that attack for Arsenal. I'd be like, oh yeah, he seems an aerial presence. I don't, I don't see one. No, well, so it's no point doing that unless you have a target man. They, they don't have Giroud anymore. <laughs> no, and but you you watched you watched Arsenal play this game, and I, I'm, I don't know about the two of you. I was I was quite worried by because right, we all think of. Arteta is a Guardiola disciple, a man who's a man yeah. who's got kind of like will always try these little niche things that can unlock a game. I can't. And what did we what did we see here? We all knew what Mourinho was going to turn up and do here. We all knew it. And what yeah, we knew it. And what happened? They Spurs Spurs yeah. sat deep, and Arsenal just played the way they're going to play. 
They dealt with a deep defence by passing slowly. They failed to move into space for the ball. They failed to progress anything fast. They never moved that defence around. They never caused them problems. They never got them out into the wide areas and did a quick switch of play. They ballsed up every set piece, which is what happens when you give Willian a three-year contract. And <laughs> to compound it, they just showed poor game management. Like the second goal, like... Party trying to limp off. That's bad. Like that. That's bad. But the fact that your fullbacks are that far up the pitch, yeah. and I know you're chasing the game, but there has to be some kind of element where you look and you think to yourself, going in at one down is okay. Going in at two down is game over. Yeah. But and you know what you know exactly what Spurs are trying to do. They're trying to get Kane and Son on the break. That's exactly what they want. <laughs> and you've just given them the perfect opportunity right before half time. And and Away they go, Kane to Son. Thanks for coming, 2 0. Yeah. It's so, so stupid. But, and you just sort of like, you just sort of there going, like, Arteta's obviously a very intelligent man. And you just sat there going, if I can see the problems with your tactical setup from my settee, and I'm a moron, like, what's, <laughs> what are you doing, really? I just, and, that old Trafford game aside, Dave, their results the last couple of weeks have been poor, haven't they? Yeah, they have been. I'd, they need to try. They need really to change bad. something. I don't. I don't know how much Arteta thinks he can change <laughs> with these players, given what what sort of football they're used to. But whatever he's doing, it needs to change. And it needs to change quick. Hmm. They need to. You can you can have a idealistic view of football and football teams try to play, but. At this moment in time, they they have a lot of the ball and are struggling to do anything with it in in all their games, which is the big problem here. Like, didn't they have sixty five percent possession in this? But they, I can't really think of one particularly good chance they managed to make with all of that. It needs to it needs to do something. There wasn't one. <laughs> but I don't. This is a thing. I don't know what he can even do to really change with those players. I I'm I don't know what he does really. And- and, and the fact that it's it's consistent over a few weeks, because like, take for, for example the difference between getting annoyed at Chelsea, who created incredibly little versus Spurs. Um, well, they created a few half chances, but very little, much like Arsenal. But the difference is with with them is you know how they're attacking in their games against anyone who's not in the top six, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Arsenal, my, with Arsenal, I don't know, I don't know what team they're set up to play. Where they create tons of chances the outside Europa of the Europa League, League. like yeah, that's it. That's the only games where they attack with any freedom in, and that's because he puts in kids who are trying to prove their worth most of the time. When they're playing Irish farmers, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's seriously, true. their group's a joke. <coughs> yeah, it's true. Their, their Premier League results. They just lost 2-0 to Spurs. They Last weekend, they lost 2-1 to Wolves at home, and they were dreadful in that. The, the week before, they lost, they drew 0-0 with Leeds. Obviously, they had Pepe sent off, but they were also dreadful in that. I think Leeds yeah, would work three times. Leeds didn't score. Before yeah. that, Villa beat them 3-0, which apparently is a good result if you compare it to Liverpool, but there you go. <laughs> they went to Old Trafford and won 1-0 because of a penalty. They lost to Leicester 1-0 and they lost to City 1-0. And then the week before, they beat a hapless Sheffield United side. I mean, they really haven't put in any good performances in that whole stretch, I don't think. I, I, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot him a bit of bail. They played they played very well in that United game. I know they I know they needed a penalty to win, and they didn't they didn't create a, nearly enough good chances as they should have done. They did play very well in that United game. I think that's fair enough. Right, but that could have easily been a nil nil. Yes, it could have easily yeah, been a nil nil. Then, then what? No, no, it's a very good point. Their attacking woes are there, but that's the that's the thing. I look at you look at Ars- look at Arsenal's midfield. I mean, thinking about next next steps, how are you how are you fixing this? I don't know how you fix it. It's it's lacking. It's lacking any natural creative players. At the end of the day, I feel like even Danny Ceballos is it's probably more creative than like Party and Xhaka, for example. But he's not an out and out like sort of playmaker, is he? And then you look at the bench and Ketius, yeah, Ceballos, El Nene, Mustafi, Renarsson, whoever that is, Maitland-Niles, right, so he's irrelevant then. So <laughs> there's just nothing there, is there? Unless you're going to play Big Ainsley in, in midfield. What a boy. Just to clarify, Maitland-Niles not anti-Harriet for Ready Silly Kirk fans. Well, he, he, might make, <laughs> he might do better than Jacker in there. Good grief. 2020, we have had an Ainsley-Harriet reference. Dear Lord, um, <laughs> just to, just I'm going to be a bit naughty here. So, um, if he hadn't won the FA Cup, is Arteta on sack watch? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Why? Because they're getting really bad results. He's shown no, he's shown no way of looking like he can turn this around at this moment in time. There's Didn't nothing get- he has shown that shows they're going for a blip. This just seems to be Arsenal. It's but, not, there's, there's like, if they've had a couple of injuries, say how Liverpool have, and their results sort of have declined, you can sort of go, okay, well, at least this is what they were like when they had their full team. Other than the 3-0 win against Fulham, I can't think of any game that's been maybe a highlight for Arsenal fans, obviously, other than the penalty against Man United, but it's the only Prem game where they attacked with any sort of freedom. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know what he does with this team to turn them around. I don't know. It's not them going through a blip. It's just how Arsenal have been this season. Yeah, I think the problem for Arteta is we all thought he had some plan and way of playing. And now you look, you watch them and you just... I feel like you, I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah, well, I feel the same. His plan A is not good. and He doesn't seem to have a plan B. It's my concern. Well, He, he, you... is, a, he is third favourite, by the way, to be... To leave next, leave his post. Oh, we might come on to them later. We'll come on to one of them, and Billich is the second favourite for West Brom. Don't know what West Brom expect, but we don't want to talk about them, to be honest. No, Billich is woeful (laughs) anyway. Um, I never forgive him for that West Hampstead. Um, I guess I guess I want to think in big picture. Um, I think there's an interesting question. Is that I saw? Um, I think it was Liam Toomey who's Chelsea's correspondent for the athletics saying yeah. is it time to realistically rethink the idea of this top six because when you so let's just think quickly what the top six is so the top six are clubs that have a big stature in the english game they usually have a lot of financial power and they usually and they, as the name says they finish in that top six um seeing real declining results for arsenal we know they don't have the same financial metal as Liverpool, 
as Man United as Chelsea is, well, as as Man City, you know these teams. Um, they have had recent success. I think it's very important to remember that they won the FA Cup last year. They've won quite. They've won a few trophies over the last few years. Even if they are all FA Cups, they're still there. But if I was to say to you, Dave, are Arsenal a top six team? Like, would you say? I think top six is the wrong word. Would you say they're still part of the big six, or do you think their decline has been so severe in a way? I think they've declined, but I'd still say they're towards like they're maybe the bottom of the top six. I don't think you can say that as much as like for example teams like Wolves have been good to watch in the last few seasons. They they've been coming in the Europa League the last couple of seasons, whereas even Arsenal have declined. They've played European football most seasons for the last like what twenty years. And you're going to write them off of the big six when Wolves have had two better seasons than than them when Wolves weren't even in the league most of the time. I I don't think we're going to put anyone in the top six. And even if if they were, they would be less. In that case, maybe Wolves. I'm asking, is it a big five? I'd say because of the stature they have, you would say they're still top six. But they're not even in the level of the other five clubs in the top six, if that makes sense. Like they're lagging behind everyone else. Even Spurs, that I'd say they're lagging behind. And Man United. I don't think well, that, they're... Well, that's it. We are we are the anti-Arsenal pod. <laughs> we may as well just... They are lagging ourselves. behind, Mike. They are lagging behind. Oh, no, no. I, I agree. I'd say Man United are starting to have been threatening to lag behind, but not as far as Arsenal. They haven't played the Champions League in four years. Yeah, they're they're lagging behind. At least Man United are still making the Champions League most times. Or if they get to Europa, they hey, we're fifth, and we could go we could go third if we win our game, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, the way you said hey, like you were live on TV there and. Some studio is great. One of these, one of these days. <laughs> Camera just, one, right here. Well, uh, honest, I don't even want to talk about United because if if there's ever a, just a of uh, clap back to it's just it's easy to man it's easy to manage good players. It's only going to solve job at United. Well, also, he's sending them out there just no tactics, just vibes. It really is. Also, top six, by the way, just vibes and no flags apparently. Yeah. Can you even consider it a top six when Man City and Liverpool were so clearly much further ahead than the other four teams? That's that's oh, not so true. Now we're in the Liga, are we? That's not true, though, is it? Like they have look, Man, yeah, City and, but... Man City and Liverpool have been so far ahead. We're so far ahead the last years. three years. But let's not forget Tottenham made the Champions League two years ago. Chelsea won the league what four years ago. It's not ridiculous. Man United came second a couple of years ago. Admittedly, no idea how, but they're still big. They're still big six. What I'm asking you about Arsenal is, we haven't seen, we haven't seen a top four finish in four years. We've seen a few FA Cup wins, but we've not seen, aside from when that Leicester season where everything in football was going off the chain. We haven't yeah. re- off the fucking chain. Was going. We haven't really. Even Spurs seen, finished second. We, I'm waiting for that one. We haven't really seen. <laughs> oh, they didn't even finish second. I don't think. Well, because no, because they bottled it to Arsenal. But we haven't yeah. really. We haven't really seen a consistent. No. For a while. So I guess if they're not for you, Mike Brez, do you feel a different way? Do you feel a different? Do you think we should think of it as a top five, a big five? Nah, not for me. 
No. They're, they're still they're still one of the top six. Yeah. They're not going to finish in the top six, but they're still one of the top six clubs in the in England. Oh like, no, I'm not saying they're not one of the top six teams, like as a club. But in terms of in the league, they're no longer in the top six. They're lagging behind. For what it's worth, I I, I agree. They're a big they're a big six club because if if Tottenham are in the big six, <laughs> we're letting anyone in. Leicester, I mean Leicester, got a league title. No, Arsenal finished eighth last year. Yes, they did. Yes, they bloody did. Wow, that's horrible stuff. So, um, before we move on, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our weekly segment, Wazzock of the Week, or Will's Weekly Wazzock, we might call it. WWW, like the the World Wide Web. So, it's a two-man shortlist this week, but only one clear winner. And is David, shortlist, Dave, yeah, it is actually number three. David Harris, um, oh. tickling people outside the tips that I've got here. Um, Jesus Christ, well, <laughs> here we go. Gabby Abonglahor is at number two with uh, his comment about James Rodriguez is getting a bit found out. It's got cold, maybe he didn't realize it was cold here. The man played in Munich, Gabby, he played yeah, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run. however, number one of Wazzock of the Week is an Arsenal player. It's Hector Bellerin, who has five foul throws this season, far outranking anyone else in Europe's top five leagues. There you go. Five foul throws. Five I, foul can throws. I just say that that is really hard to do in the Premier League <laughs> because they never give foul throws. The last person I saw called for a foul throw was Victor Moses and it happened in an FA Cup final when we were 2-1 down. And then he got I saw, sent off. I saw Barrigan for Middlesbrough a few years back do two in the same game but um, oh, that's a hell of a brace uh, that was that was hard <laughs> um so let's move on what we were hoping for was another edition of an, an other new weekly segment which is where mike talks to you about joel linton's week however um newcastle versus villa was postponed after a covid outbreak amongst um newcastle's players which led to the game being postponed i've already said that here we go i'm just repeating myself um it's a real shame to be honest so this is quite an... <laughs> so uh, do you know i had a text genuine off, uh... despair in mike's eyes there for for those that can't see it which is all of the listeners i had a text off a friend who listens to the podcast after joel after last week's thing where you'd gone on about joel and he could and he just was like well you could tell he needed to get that off his chest <laughs> 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 oh, wonderful! Thank you, thank you. Um, that being said, I think it's quite a, quite an interesting thing—the idea that we've finally seen it happen. Because when we were talking about Project Restart, we were worried about a mass COVID outbreak. How's the league going to handle it? Handle it? We've seen in other sports, particularly in the NFL and um, Major League Baseball, we've seen COVID outbreaks because they. And they've had to pause games. They've lost people to COVID things. And like, I was at the Denver Broncos. I think had to play without a, court, a registered quarterback the other day, which was ridiculous. Um, uh, Dave, I'm going to throw to you first. What do you make of the Premier League's handling of the situation? Do you think it's fair that they postponed the game? Oh, I'd, I'd say it's fair. Okay. Um, Why? But they just have to set the precedent. Like they can't now punish a team for for not being able to fulfill a fixture. Um, I think it's fair because, like, for example, I'm going to 
make a comparison. Obviously, Liverpool ended up playing Villa in, was it a cup game last season where they had to put out kids because a first team were in the Club World Cup, which they've chosen to play in, right? So Liverpool are, Liverpool are basically handicapped because of their own choice. No one can help if your players catch a virus. You can't punish teams from catching a virus. And at the end of the day, you've implemented this really good testing system to catch anything like this. You can't, you can't just give like Villa a 3 no win because Newcastle can't put out a team. Do you not think it sort of brings the integrity of the league into question if a team could get relegated because they had to play by minor margins and they had to play two games where they put out kids? Firstly, I would see no problem in the league just deciding to relegate Newcastle so I never had to watch them again. Um, secondly, is... It's more the precedent, Will, not I, not for defending Newcastle. I do agree with you that it was probably it was the right decision. That being said, I, I do want to ask the question: is how how is this any di- how is this any different to an an injury crisis at the club, for example? That you've got you've got a load of players out. How is this any different? Because they could have fielded a team, which would have but been under eighteen, but they could have fielded. Not so. This is different because you're bringing their safety into question, Will. You can be in contact with some bloke bloke that breaks his leg. You're not going to break your leg. But what if they get people in no, contact with them? I'm not suggesting they play. I'm not suggesting yeah, they play. Injuries are different. Injuries are totally different. How? Because you can't catch an injury from someone else. Yeah, but you can't. They're not letting the players with COVID go out onto the pitch. I'm saying they could have found other players. You could have been forced to play with under 18s. I think what's difficult here is that they they have to shut the training ground stuff down. So yeah, that no you, you, you by the time you get a team that's not training at the training ground, you'll be playing under twelves. Under twelves. So we can't put them even against Villa. We we can't put them up against Villa. I just to be honest, I was thinking about this the other day when Tottenham drew um, Marine in the cup. I want to see a team. Like go full strength against one of these non-league teams, just beat them like twenty-six nil. I just really want to see it. So it would be... Son and Kane <laughs> against Marine. Got to be a massacre. I think even Keenan Davis gets a goal against Newcastle's under twelves. But this is what I want to see. I want to see like Keenan Davis break the world record for goals. Again. He'd have like a foot or two advantage over some of their players. I'm still not sure he scores. Yeah. I, bet so, I bet some of the under twelves are better players as well. Probably. Probably. Um, that's when you get the crosses in to Keenan yeah. Davis against Newcastle under 12. I've got head, all head wide and over for the entire flipping I've game. Got, I've got like an image of Space Jam, but it's like Joel Linton <laughs> instead of Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and all these other 12s running around. <laughs> Santi Munez, the, the gaffer. Oh, Santi Munez. Yeah, honestly, one of the great one of the great scenes in cinema history is when the bloke who was definitely not a rip off of Arsene Wenger in goal one uh gets Santi Munez on a on like a, a field late at night. Just randomly Santi Munez is practicing not the training ground, in the stadium. And he just moves <laughs> up and he's like he boots the ball and then he tells Santi Munez, run. And then he go, comes back, he gets halfway and then he goes, Come back, come back. And he boots another ball and he goes, run. And then he turns to him and he goes, you must pass to your teammates. And it's the worst coaching I've ever seen. And I'm like, <laughs> it's supposed to be this transformative moment in the film. And you're like, this is shite. In all fairness, they could have at least got an actor who could play football. Oh, God. 
No. No. Goal three, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Anyway, we seem to have got well off track. Um How did we get here? <laughs> well, to any honestly anything to avoid talking about Steve Bruce's Newcastle. Um That being said, let's get back to it. Mike, is the fact that this is the first time kind of indicative of how well Premier League and the football clubs have handled the pandemic and playing during the pandemic? I'm pretty impressed that that Bar Grealish and Ross McCormack, no one's no there hasn't been that many uh, I'll be alarmed if Ross McCormack was a Premier League player. To be fair, Mike, is he not? Was it not him? He's an older shot, him? mate. Now, no, no, no. Greenish, Greenish got caught going to his house, sir. Yeah, I thought it was McCormack. Yeah, yeah. But you don't anyway, about McCormack. <laughs> I've been pretty impressed, to be honest. That so far, I, I mean, the players will have had to pretty much isolate outside of playing the games, and then there's all the other people, the people that drive the buses or the planes, however they travel. And then there's, I mean, there's a hell of a lot that go, I imagine goes into the operations to keep, to keep these, these teams going. And the fact that this is the first time that a team has had to essentially be shut down in the Premier League. I, I know it's happened in lower leagues, but to be honest, I've been pretty impressed. We've made it since June, mid-June to December, six months without... Yeah, uh, a team missing a game because yeah. of COVID. That's, that's, yeah. that's not bad in my view. Because um, I, 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 know, I know me and you, Dave, are really sceptical about Project Reese. In fact, I think all three of us were, but I, me and you were really sceptical. Oh, yeah. How are you feeling now? After this is, this seems like with the first outbreak, this feels like almost the right time to turn around and sort of think about it as a whole. Um, how are you feeling about the whole thing now? Well, yeah, I mean, they've managed to play... What at this point most teams probably played twenty five games, thirty games since Project Restart. Yep. And this is the first game week where it's been properly affected. So they've obviously been doing a great job. Um my concern more with this is how many games you're gonna allow teams to not play because what they're gonna have to rearrange them. That's more my they can't allow it to spiral out of control where, say, over the, over the next few months, a team like Newcastle will have four or five games postponed. When the hell are they going to play those games? Yeah, that, that, there is a worry about fishing congestion. My also my question is, and I'm going to be honest, it's probably out there, how many, how many players have to go down with it before the game is postponed? Or is it just a... The training ground is closed. We postponed the game. I, I, I just want to. I think the need there needs to be a, a particularly clear part of the rules because otherwise, you know what it's like. Football fans will look for anything. They'll be like, "There's some." There'll be some Chelsea fan who next week after we lose to Everton because we always lose to Everton at Goodison uh, goes, "Well, Kai Havertz was still suffering from COVID." Blah 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 blah. We couldn't play him, and they'll be like, "Well, Newcastle didn't play last week. Some Burke will do that. Probably be me." Um, <laughs> but. You know what I mean? I think I think with situations like this, it's always better to be clear and concise and let the fans know what's going on. But um, the Premier League is actually sh- really should be commended for how they've handled the whole fans, mm-hmm. the, the whole COVID situation. Um, just quickly want to touch on uh, the fact that last week they announced that there's the £250 million bailout for EFL clubs. Dave, as someone who's got a much higher interest in the lower leagues than me and Mike, I, I couldn't give two less of a shit to let it all burn. Um Brilliant. That's a joke. Um, how are you feeling about this? Well, I think I think it's only a good thing, really. Um, I, 
it's getting to the point, I think, where the EFL are very aware that they're not sure of their long-term future without any sort of investment, maybe even their short-term future for a lot of clubs. Um, I think I'll probably save them, to be honest. Um, I haven't, I will be honest, when there was that earlier proposal, um, was it Project Big Picture, something like that? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I haven't actually looked in this as much depth. So, if there's any clause in there that maybe some EFL fans would be unhappy with, I will be honest, I'm not actually aware of it. Um, but at face value, the investment, I think, it's the right thing to do. And even if there are clauses in it, I don't think they're at a point where they can reject any financial help any longer. To be perfectly honest, yeah, right thing to do, Brez. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I think it's fifty million for leagues one and two as a grant, and then two hundred for the championship as a interest free loan. So, I mean, they they need the money. They really, really need, especially down the bottom. Um, yeah. Even with fans starting to get back into the grounds, which by the way was great to see this weekend mm-hmm. uh, across some Premier League grounds and the EFL. Um, even was like, it? <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Are we going to touch? No, no, no. We don't need to talk about that. I want to yeah. talk about the fact that I was watching. I was watching. I literally, I love football, and I love football with full crowds. It's great. However, when I was watching Chelsea Leeds, and the Chelsea fans were making the weirdest sounds. Yeah, so they were. I was like, I was like, can I turn this off? I've got so used to just being able to hear the players. I was like. I kind of want to hear them shouting at each other again. I don't know. It just felt a bit weird to me. But obviously, no. It is great to have fans back in the ground. Some I, for one, was glad to see it. Some grounds. And I'm Apart from one stressed. ground. Some grounds. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't want to lecture you. So. Um, Dave, actually, quickly back to the um, EFL interest-free loan, which isn't a bailout, actually, then, is it? Um, were you hoping that the EFL went under before Blues got relegated? <laughs> No one before Blue score their next goal, which could be well. Who knows when it could be? We won at the weekend, Mike. So how many wins is that now, Dave? Oh, not many. Will like three. <laughs> three. How many is it? Thirty. Oh uh, no! And in fact, will that will improve our stat? It'll be four in thirty-seven. <laughs> oh my goodness! It was three in thirty-six though, so we've come a long way. Join Dave for his new spin-off podcast, which is just in and around League One next year. Um. <laughs> Speaking of the EFL, let's talk about a team who very soon look like they'll be there. Uh, Chris Wilder, Sheffield United. Um, I think if, if you were to... Oh, thanks, Dave. Uh, do you see me, you see the little word? I was going to comment on the last one, uh, but I couldn't let you have another great segue. Or not. Um, so, uh, Sheffield United, last year's um, darlings of the Premier League, such a great story. Um, and ever since Project Restart started and we sort of were like, oh, they're not looking great. Is it time to be worried? Five podcasts along. Is it time to be worried? Five podcasts along. Is it time to be worried? And every time we're like, nah, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. It'll be all all right. They're a well-coached team. Well-coached teams do better in the end. They can eke out results. They've got one point. From 11. From 11 games. Um, Dave, time to be worried? I'm, I'm very worried. Why are you worried? Um, well, they were defensively solid, which which was like what gave them a platform to even do well last year. 
Offensively poor. Aaron Ramsdale, beginning to question if he ever has been that good a keeper or if he looked good at Bournemouth just because he managed to make so many saves because there were so many shots at him because his defence didn't really want to defend. Um, uh, going up the other end of the pitch, it's, it's like they're on a ceasefire, to be honest. There's some sort of problem. <laughs> they don't want to fire a shot. They're, they're just so... There's not really any positives I can think of. They've not had any horror injuries yet. Maybe that's one. There's no COVID outbreak. That's two. Um, But COVID outbreak where McBurney gets it might be a positive, really. Did score a header, though, this week. So it's his first goal for 16 games. Oddly enough, oddly enough, I know people enjoy enjoy ragging on him, uh, Ollie McBurney. He played really well at the weekend. And there's a few times where you're watching this season and you're like, you know, the shots just aren't falling right now. You're on that bit of a bad run for a striker, but he's still, he's all around play. He's been fine. He, it's, it's not down to him. I don't think. My biggest worry I've seen is. seen too many Scottish people on Twitter, Will, so I've just bought into it. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> you, you say, you say, in, you say there's no real injury concerns, but they they have lost um, quite an integral part of their team with. Um, oh, John Flack. No, not John Flack. This, I, I want to say O'Connell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, His overlapping runs from centre half uh, was so key to what they did last year, and not having that has has led them to not only suffer defensively but really suffer offensively. Like you watch them at the weekend, and I again I think back to I think back to when they beat Chelsea three nil at at home. And after re- after Project Restart last year, where they they pressed really high and they just didn't let him play. I watched them play against Leicester at the weekend. There was no pressure at all. They just let them come at them and at them and at them and at them. And in the end, they, they paid the price like so many teams do when you let quality players have time and space to unpick you. Um, You're right about O'Connell. There's a, there's a great uh, video by Tifo on YouTube, um, which a lot of it covers O'Connell, so worth a watch. For anyone who yeah. doesn't realise how big a miss he probably is to them, yeah. But um, uh, and this goes to what you said, Dave, about their 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 recruitment has been odd. It's been really strange. Well, Bruce, Max Bird and Max Bird and Jaden Bogle, weird signings. Weird. But, but then you've you've got, you've got players like Lowe, who looks like he could probably be okay in the future, but right now he's not. Um, He's, he right now he just doesn't look like he's wise enough. And then you, you look at Ethan Ampadu, who I really like Ethan Ampadu. Yeah, but um, I think this, I think the getting him on loan, I think showcases perhaps that they had, they had slightly more, not I don't want to say lofty aspirations, but they thought they'd be comfortably safe and they thought they could, they could take, they could take on a player who's who his upside is is really up, but also you're going to have to sit through like one or two games where he makes one or two mistakes um, because currently the only player playing well in that team is Sander Berger. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. he's quite good. You're right. Yeah, so... Um, quick, quick Sheffield United stat. They've, they've scored five. Any any guesses what their XG is for this season? Three. Five? They've scored five? Yeah, they've scored uh, ten. five. Ten. Uh, 12.3. Oh, twelve. Oh, yeah. I, you see, my I'm so pessimistic. I thought they'd somehow outperformed XG at five there. Well, McBurney's got one from th- one from like three and a half, and I think David McGoldrick's pretty similar. Yeah, he he's never he been that not. good, has he? 
<laughs> no, but this is the say what you want about Sheffield United. Like last year, like they had Lise Mousset who had a, had an absolute blitzing month, and he can't stay fit now as well. So they, no. they do they do have injury issues, but. You could see from you could see from Wilder's face at the weekend, his post match, that this was this was a big this was a big game for them to lose, particularly when they were so close to another point. Yeah, I think once they uh, if they can get a win fairly shortly, they're still only six behind Fulham in seventeenth. <laughs> Somehow if they can get a win. <laughs> what? Have I really not looked at the table for that long? Fulham are not in the relegation zone. So. Yeah, they're not, no, mate. No. Oh my god. So, I mean, yes, they're on one point. If they can somehow win a game, suddenly they're suddenly they're back in it again a little bit. Oh, the results oh. go their way. So oh, it is bad. It's, it's really bad. Oh <laughs> God! Will's there upset. Is, there is still Fulham hope if, if Wilder can turn it around. How are Fulham not in the? How are West Brom? 19th. West Brom are comfortably the worst team in the Premier League this season. Comfortably. You watch them play and they are... They lost 5 one to Palace. Woeful. <laughs> Christian Benteke scored... Benteke scored two. Oh, Benteke God. taking a start from 3-53 and 53 to 5-54 and 54 for Palace. Quick maths from you off the top of your head there, Dave. <laughs> Sorry? I saw the cogs working away there. Yeah, because I couldn't remember if it was 52 and 53, but it is 53 and 54, Mike. It wasn't the maths. Oh, dear. So, Wilder out? Wilder in? It is an interesting discussion. Um, His favourite to be the next manager to leave his post. Um, and people genuinely seem to think that he's going he's gonna to go. He, he looked defeated at the weekend. Dave, um... We know that in the past you've been against the managers who've brought their teams up the divisions, um, particularly with your your absolute vitriol and hatred for Eddie Howe when he was at Bournemouth. Um, do you think do you think he should go, Wilder? I, do you think any, anyone could do any better? I don't think he could. He should go yet, but it's definitely a cause for concern. Um, I mean, I. Now I think about it, I am. Um, feel like I was harsh on Eddie Howe last season. Um, <laughs> Come on, we've won him round. No, just because Eddie Howe had done such a good job with Bournemouth to even get them to the Premier League. And uh, for some reason, myself, I, I just totally threw that out the window because they weren't playing good football. Um, however,. My thing with Sheffield United is much unlike to see them keep Wilder for as long as he wants to be there. Um, one point in 11 games isn't just a bad start. It's an absolutely disastrous start. It's, it's People are going to start asking after a few more losses, are they going to get past Derby's 11 points? People are already asking it. Because, know, yeah, I'd imagine that's already there. Yeah, because... You know, a bad start, you could say teams like Fulham or whoever have had a bad start. They're on six or seven points. That is a bad start from 11 games. But to have one point... And I think, as Will said, losing the game at the weekend in the fashion they lost it, if they had any sort of confidence, that would have eaten into it even more. Um, 
I don't know, it's a tough one, really, because as much as you can say, like, yeah, Sheffield United should give it to someone else, I don't know what sort of manager they attract. Uh, I don't know if any sort of big name or bigger name than Chris Wilder can even sort this out. But when they get to the January transfer window, if they're still in this mess, they need to make a decision. Do they trust Wilder to to coach them and maybe make some additions to get them out of this mess? Or do they just go, that's it, get someone else in, give them the window to do what they want to do with the squad, or at least make a couple of additions and go from there? Because if Sheffield United's owners see themselves as just a championship club overachieving, which they may well do, there's no need to sack him. But if they actually have ambitions to be a Premier League club, having got one point from 11 games, it's it. if they haven't already seriously been considering it, they need to start to be considering if they need to make changes in terms of management. Because if this is a normal season, if this is any other team in the league, that manager's out of the job. If West Brom have done this, out of, Bilic is so far gone. They've flown him back to Croatia, Telling Pretty Patel to not let him back in after January the 1st. Fulham have probably sacked Scott Parker and will stop hearing his streets renditions and post-match interviews. They're all gone. Even those teams, the managers are gone from 1.11. So they've got to start to question it. If they... Is Dyche gone? Has Dyche gone? With one point from 11? Assuming he wouldn't walk. But would he be gone? Would they say they're getting they're getting taken over potentially? So yeah, Sean Dyche might be about to be a very happy man behind I, gravelly tones. But if he's on one point eleven. Is he is he gone? I I think with Burnley, it's a yes or no question, Harris. No, we don't need, I'm really, we, I'm you're punch. not you're not a bad guy in the James Bond movie. Everything doesn't <laughs> no, need I'm, to be a monologue. Come on, son. <laughs> He's just loving the airtime. I think Burnley would get rid of Dyche if they were one point from 11. Mike, do you think they'd get rid of him? No. Absolutely not. The reason I bring up Dyche is because the, for, for what you talk about, um, I think it's an interesting comparison here. You've got you've got a club in Sheffield United which aren't the same level as Burnley, but they, they're understanding of, I think, their limitations, particularly when you consider that no one at the club can have more than 30 grand a week, which means that when you come up against players in like the transfer market for like Ollie Watkins for example as soon as they were aware of Villa's interest they had to pull out because they just could not manage that weight um manage <laughs> match they couldn't match um his the wage packet that was on offer um which is interesting because obviously they have ambition because you saw that from the Sander Berger thing but I think they're quite a comparable club and I'm I wouldn't I think Wilder and Dyche are probably the only two who could survive this in the league. Mike, do you think CW should go? I can't believe people, unless he walks, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like he's pretty much unsackable. Unless he drops them straight through the championship somehow, which he wouldn't do. I, I, I can't see how you can sack him, given what he's done for that club. I agree. Show the man a bit of respect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disgusting. 
I have two things we've learned from this podcast. One, Dave tickles people. And two, that Dave has no respect for a man who brings his team up from the championship. Although I think I will call this tie I will call this podcast episode fifty, Dave apologizes to episode to Eddie Howe, finally. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying you did a good job though. No, I'm not going that. <laughs> Hold not on. last season. Hold on. Not Hold last on. season. Okay, I was going to say if you Overall, forget, that was a magnificent job, but not last season. You were I'm... about to be sacked from the podcast. No, Eddie Howe did unbelievable things. Took them from League Two to the bloody what's, Premier League. What's and really incredible about Bournemouth last year is that you were calling for him to be sacked like four weeks in. <laughs> it wasn't. Even, it wasn't even like it, you're literally there going now, like Uber and Aaron about Wilder. Eddie Howard be consistently yeah, in the Premier Eddie League Howard, for years. Howard, you were like. You're like, you're like four games in. He's lost to two of the top six. Fuck out of here. Get out of here. Um, right. Guess that will do it for this week. Um, Dave, if the people want to follow you to find out more about um, how to properly tickle someone, where can they do that? You know what, Will? I thought you'd set yourself up for, you know, Mr. Man. I thought you were going to call me Mr. Tickle. I was about to leave the call. No, no. But where can they find you if they want to uh, call you Mr. Uh, tickle? <laughs> oh no it's another dave monologue here we go it's that dave harris underscore 44 yeah or just your local police station um mike <laughs> if they want to follow you for more um insightful articles about joel linton where can they do that uh mikey Bresner on twitter for that and if you want to follow me, you can do so at World 17. But please don't please instead follow us at In and Around Pod on all the socials, including Mumsnet. Um if you want if you want more of our uh, opinions and stuff, you can head over to in and where you can find all the things we've learnt from this week's action. And you can also find Bress's bets. Bress, how did we do this week? I think it was a small loss. Small loss. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it actually was. It actually was. Um, shout out to um, Mr. Henry Hodgson, who Zaka came in this weekend. I know he likes to listen, and he always, always likes to tell me that his bets are the best. Well, he's he's uh, going to be, he's going to be joining me from the, oh, on, the, on the column. He yeah, spoke to him earlier, and he announced himself to the the person. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> if the only way Henry Hodgson can. Um, <laughs> uh, well, until next week. Um, yeah, goodbye. What, oh, what, just, I don't know. Like, stay away from Dave. Like. Oh, <laughs> seriously, though, social distance from us. Yeah, social distance. Dave, how have you been able to tickle people while socially distanced? <laughs> well, just, this is podcast, it a mask on every finger? This podcast, but anyone that doesn't know. A mask on every finger. <laughs> Dave's know. walking around with like, some, that some fingers like sorrow. What have you done? Oh, <laughs> what have you done, well, with? All well, of the however bad they feel have been playful. This makes you out to be a genuinely horrific person. Local yeah. podcast hosts arrested for tickling people outside the Birmingham City ground. Yeah. Whilst in tier three. <laughs> <laughs> right. Seriously, until next time, goodbye. Cheers. I'm not saying goodbye. <laughs>